Well, we're going to begin a new series today for, for the season of Advent. That's the four-week season leading up to Christmas. And we're calling the series, How Long? If you've read through Scripture, you may have noticed that the season of Advent is not exactly uh, listed in Scripture. But what we find is that early church uh, leadership and early church uh, folks began to practice this season to prepare for Christmas uh, what you will find through Scripture, though, is the concept, the concept of Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means arrival. And all the, the, the thing that we are remembering uh, as we celebrate Advent is that Jesus has come, that Jesus has arrived. But we look with anticipation for Jesus' second coming that he will return. And so we look for his arrival while we remember that Jesus has come. And so we put ourselves in the posture that the Israelites had uh, before Jesus came the first time, where we find ourselves longing for our Messiah to come. And so this season leading up to Christmas, we join the Israelites and we say, how long, O Lord? How long until you come? I don't know about you, uh, but... 2020 seems the perfect uh, season for a, mess, a, a sermon series called How Long, doesn't it? I don't know about you. Uh, we started the year with pretty high hopes. I imagine you did too. You started the year with really high hopes. And then by March, we were locked into our houses uh, because of COVID. And we found ourselves going, how long are we going to be stuck inside? How long, Lord? And then, if you know, fast forward uh, to May, and we all watched the horrendous killing of George Floyd that reminded us that racism was still alive in our, city, in our uh, nation. And we said, how long will racism be a thing? How long, O oh Lord? And then as we, as we got on through the year and we came up towards the political season, we began to realize that as a nation, we're really divided. And we began to say, how long, O oh Lord, will we be divided? How long will division last in our nation? How long, O oh Lord? How long? That's the title of this series is how long that we join with the cry of the Israelites in waiting for their Messiah as we look for Jesus to return. How long? How long? You know, it's the appropriate title for a series because we who follow Jesus know that sickness and uh, racism and division, they all will ultimately be resolved when Jesus comes. That when Jesus consummates his kingdom on earth, when he comes and the kingdom is fully here, that's what will fix all of these problems. And so we who follow Jesus, we long, how long, O oh Lord, when will you return to set all things right? You know, and as we wait, frequently despair sets in, doesn't it? Like, have you tempt, seen a temptation in yourself to despair and think, well, it'll never really work out. You know, the darker things get, the more we wish for light, don't we? We all do. We wish for light. We wish for things to change. But there's a difference between wishing and hoping. Wishing comes with a sort of a connotation that we wish this would happen, but probably it never will. Right? I mean, have you ever have you ever thought about that? That when you say, I wish this would happen, it sort of is like, it'd be nice, but it probably will never happen. Hope, on the other hand, in the Bible is confident expectation in something that has not yet been attained. But biblically, 
Hope is an expectation that something will change. And so while we wish for a change, we all wish that things would be different. It's becoming more and more audacious to hope, isn't it? Isn't it becoming more and more audacious to hope that the Lord will come and change? And so we cry out, how long, O Lord, until you come and make all things new again? How long? Is there any reason to hope? Is there any reason that as we press forward towards Christmas of 2020, that we could have confidence and expectation that all things will be made new again? Is there any reason for hope? Friends, I believe that those who follow Jesus have reason to hope, that there is hope to be found in Jesus. I'm calling today's message, All is Not Lost. Will you pray with me and then we'll turn to to God's word together. So Lord, we do welcome you into this season and as we posture ourselves to prepare for an unusual Advent season, God, we place ourselves at your mercy, and we cry out, would you come? How long, O Lord? God, as we turn to your word, would you impress on us the hope of the kingdom? God, that you would speak a word of hope to us today. God, I pray that you enable me to speak as I should. Would you put your words in my mouth? God, would you enable me to communicate hope today? Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look today at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what we read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You know, when confronted by the angel Gabriel, Mary had all kinds of reasons to doubt. There was all kinds of reasons to doubt what what Gabriel was telling her. You know, Gabriel tells her she's going to give birth to the Messiah. That this is the word of of Gabriel to Mary. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. This person that the nation of Israel has been waiting for, for centuries. And the way he tells her this is by quoting or citing four, at least four different Old Testament prophecies. 
let me lay them out uh, for you. The, the one prophecy, Isaiah in the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7. Then again, Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9, along with 2 Samuel 7, that the Messiah would be heir to David's throne. In Numbers 24, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be a descendant of Jacob. And then in Psalm 45 and Daniel 2, it was prophesied that the Messiah's throne would be anointed and last forever. So Gabriel tells her all of this stuff, sums up all this prophecy in three verses. And he says, you are going to give birth to this Messiah that we've been waiting for. Here's the problem. These prophecies were old. It wasn't new. It wasn't like this happened last week. It wasn't like somebody stood up and prophesied this, you know, a couple years ago. The most recent of these prophecies was 600 years prior to Mary. The oldest one was 800 years prior to Mary. The nation of Israel had been, it's safe to say, waiting on these for a long time. Let me try to give you some perspective. You know, we use the, 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 uh, the printing press and sort of the technology of the printing press today uh, more and more. Like that was a revolutionary, found a, a, a revolutionary invention, the, pr the printing press. The printing press is only about 500 years old. North America, the continent, is only about 500 years old uh, by, by the Europeans. Uh, clearly, the Native Americans found it before that. But North America, the continent that we live on, is only 500 years old. So both of these are newer or, or younger than the prophecies of the Old Testament that Gabriel was citing. Do you get that? That, that these prophecies would have been like the predecessors to Christopher Columbus, if we're thinking about it in those terms. These prophecies were old. It was a long time ago. You know, uh, we don't exactly understand timing or waiting in America like this. You know, if you order a pizza and it takes more than 45 minutes, you begin to wonder if something went wrong, don't you? I ordered Chinese food one time uh, online and... Uh, you know, you send the order in and you kind of assume that it's going to happen. And an hour went by and I was like, I didn't order much. And I, so I called the store and I was like, is everything okay? Have you lost my, did the driver get lost? Did my order go through? Because it took an hour for my Chinese food to show up at my door. We don't understand waiting, you know, or, or another one. You know, we only give our president four years to make a difference in a nation of more than 300 million people. We only give our president four years and then we say, well, it's time to make a change. Four years. These prophecies were between 600 and 800 years. Mary's people had been waiting for a really long time for this promised Messiah to come. You know, this is centuries of rabbis teaching them to hope for these prophecies. Rabbis teaching hope for this Messiah. It's generations upon generations of rabbis saying, don't give up hope. Can you imagine 600 to 800 years of rabbis saying, don't quit, don't give up hope. It will happen. Do you think Mary had reason to doubt that this would be fulfilled? Absolutely. 
There's all kinds of doubt, all kinds of reasons to doubt and valid reasons. Not only that, but there's a pragmatic issue. Mary was a virgin. And this angel just told her she's going to have a baby. Clearly, Mary understands what it takes to be pregnant, and she doesn't qualify. So she has a practical reason to doubt. You know, one of the things that I love about Scripture is that it never shies away from doubt. The Bible never ducks away from the fact that humans doubt. It never denies that people have doubts. You know, the Scripture never teaches us that we have to pretend that we don't doubt. That somehow we need to button it all up and pretend that we have some faith that we don't have. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible is clear that doubt is a human experience. You know, there's a few examples that I, I kind of want to just lay out for you. You know, Peter, the great apostle, the apostle Peter. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and he says, you know, if you're really Jesus, why don't you call me to come walk on the water with you? Jesus calls him. Peter gets on the water. He begins to walk and it says that he doubts and he begins to sink. And Jesus says, why did you doubt? There's another one, Thomas. You know, he can't believe the, the fellow disciples' testimony that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. He can't believe it. It's too unbelievable. And so he doubts and gets branded forever. If you know this one, is doubting Thomas, right? Or perhaps maybe the most encouraging one for me is that Matthew 28, you know, the Great Commission, this is where Jesus is about to leave and he's surrounded by his disciples and he's going to tell them to go and make disciples of all nations. These are the disciples who had been with him through his whole ministry. They had seen him crucified. They had seen him raised from the dead. They had eaten with him after he was raised from the dead. And when we get to Matthew 28, it says they worshipped, but some doubted. Some doubt it. These are, the, these are the guys, the future of the church of Jesus Christ is riding on the testimony of these guys. And scripture wants you to know that some of them doubted still. And yet, God uses them to change the world. Friends, what this means is that even if you have doubts, if you struggle to believe at some point that there's a place in the kingdom for you. That doubt doesn't exclude you from the kingdom, that you too are welcome in the kingdom. You may be struggling to believe in the power of prayer. You'd say, Derek, I've prayed for people and I've never seen anything happen. Or maybe you struggle to believe that in, in the face of all that's bad and wrong with the world, that God is both powerful and good. You struggle to believe. Or maybe you've lost a loved one and you struggle to believe that God is love. Friend, at whatever point you struggle with doubt, you're in good company. Jesus never rejects people for doubt. But Jesus invites you to follow him and, and, and to allow him to grow your faith to press into places that you do have faith. That's what, G that's what Mary does. Even if she has doubts, Mary chooses to press into faith by asking this question, how will this be? It's a phrase that expresses possibility. 
She could say, I don't know if I believe it. I'm not sure. She says, how will this be? I don't know if this is true or not, but how will this be? Mary presses into places where she does have faith. Let's pick up the story again at verse 35. Let me read it again. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. You know, Mary's response, uh, in Mary's response, uh, the angel gives her reasons to hope. Mary says, how will this be? And the angel says, let me give you reasons to hope. And the way that she does, or the way that the angel does this is to provide evidence that God is indeed at work. He says that Elizabeth is pregnant. And he calls our attention to the story. If If you're reading Luke, the story right before this is the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And in the story, Elizabeth and Zechariah are unable to have children. In fact, verse 7 puts it like this. Verse 7 uh, of, of Luke chapter 1 says, But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. You know, the way it gets conveyed, Elizabeth has two problems. The first problem is she's unable to conceive. Sorry, ladies, don't hate me. This is how it was written. Scripture doesn't really understand, or at least it doesn't convey a working understanding of of male infertility. I'm sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. But infertility was always placed on the woman. But in what, for whatever reason, Elizabeth and Zechariah were unable to conceive. That's the first problem. The second problem is now they're old. They're too old to have a child. So even if they could have conceived, age now prevents it. But then Gabriel visits Zechariah in the temple and Gabriel tells Zechariah that you are now going to have a child. He he says, you're going to have a son. Zechariah doesn't exactly respond in faith. You can read that if you like. But the Lord does enable Elizabeth to conceive. So when uh, Gabriel talks to Mary, he says, even Elizabeth is going to have a child. Whatever you have, whatever doubt you have about God being able to give a child to a virgin, don't. Gabriel's demonstrating that God has the power to overcome infertility because God is sovereign over all life. And the key phrase is this, verse 37, it says, for no word from God will ever fail. There's a, a, NRSV translates it, and there's a lot of other translations that say this, for nothing will be impossible with God. There's a, if you literally want to take word for word, it says, with God, there is no impossible word. There's no impossible word with God. What scripture is saying is that in instances where you experience the not yet of the kingdom, where things are not yet as they should be, where the promises of the kingdom are not yet fulfilled, these places where things are just wrong, where they don't line up with who you think God should be or how you think things should work, that we who follow Jesus, we don't embrace doubt and walk away from God. In the not yet parts of life, we have reason to hope because of the places where we've already seen the promises of God 
fulfilled. When we face the not yet of the kingdom, we remember the already of the kingdom and we live into the tension with hope. That we're a people of hope. To be God's people is to constantly live in the tension between the already and the not yet. That's what it is to live as a kingdom person. You have to be comfortable with the reality that some things God has already done and some things God has not yet done. Our lives are full of places where things are not as they should be. You know, some of us are wrestling with the impacts of COVID. You know, you have it or, or somebody you know has it or you know somebody who's died of it. It's made a mess of your job. You have to wear a mask everywhere. It certainly has ruined your Thanksgiving and Christmas plans. That, that COVID has kind of made a mess and COVID is a not yet of the kingdom. Maybe some of you are actually like Elizabeth. You're struggling with infertility. Maybe you've been uh, struggled to conceive Or maybe you've experienced the great loss of a miscarriage and infertility is a not yet of the kingdom. You know, some of you are maybe struggling with mental health. You you, you have a hard time staying in a good frame of mind. You're depressed or you're struggling with self-harm. Maybe you're stuck in addiction. Mental health is a not yet of the kingdom. For all the places in your life where things are not as they should be, all the not yets of life, the solution is not to surrender to doubt. And the not yet, the solution is to press in to what is already true, the work God has already done. This is why, friends, gratitude is so important. Worship is so important. Gratitude and worship are an intentional time of your life where you press into the things that God has done, the things that God is. You remember the things that are already while you struggle with the not yets. Cultivating a time of gratitude on your life forces you to remember that God is already at work in your life. That when you struggle to believe, when you struggle to wrestle with the hard things of life, the not yets of life, You can go, but I know that the Lord loves me. and I know that the Lord is working on my behalf. That's that's one of the things I love about scripture. You see, the Bible is full of the already. We see over and over and over the movement of God through scripture. It's not just a good story or a, a work of fiction. You know, the Bible is a compilation of historical facts. Christian faith is a faith rooted in real history. That's one of the things I love about it. When Luke writes uh, his gospel account of Jesus, he doesn't start by saying, long, long ago in a far, far away land. No. Here's what he actually says at the beginning of Luke chapter 1. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning i too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus and here's why so that you 
may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke says that these things that he writes about have been carefully investigated, that he's talked to eyewitnesses, that the things of Christian faith can be trusted because they're rooted in factual history. That you can trust the faith that is presented in the Bible, not because it was some made-up ethereal idea, but because it's actual history. Because the God of the Bible broke into real history in Jesus Christ. That's how you can have faith, because when you read Scripture, one of the most important reasons for reading Scripture is that you see a book's worth of ways that God has already acted in human history. So when you experience the not-yets of life, when you struggle with the things that don't make sense, you can say, but God is already active in the world. God has already promised to do this. God has already done that. That you can base your faith in history. That's how Mary was able to make the choice to hope that, he d- that she does in verse 38. Here's what she says in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Because of the way God has already been at work, Mary chooses hope in the face of doubt. It's a choice. She chooses hope in the face of doubt. Friends, we live at a time in human history where there seem to be so many not yets, where where everything appears to not be as it should, and yet history records that our Savior Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and this same Jesus says, I am making all things new again. The offer to both you and me is, will we choose hope? Will we choose to hope in Jesus who never fails?